Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. So today, as you might know, our topic is rest for success. And this is a a play on the title of a book that was very popular when I was a teenager called Dress for Success. Anybody remember that book? And I read it as like a 14 year old (laughs) and started dressing. Um, I, I made myself a gray charcoal business suit and a white blouse and I wore them and everyone thought I was a teacher. (laughs) If you want to find an easy way to like slide out of most of the high school dramas that go on, just make everybody think you're a teacher. It works great. So um, yes, at 14, I was very much like, I'm going to succeed any way I can. And if it takes wearing a business suit to high school, that's what I'm going to do. And I did. And uh, I was this kind of, uh, I was into success. I'm not going to deny it. You would have hated me. I was impossible. And then, um, then many years did go by and we get to this morning. Okay. So that's my life. Telescoped, dressed for success, gray suit, acted like a teacher today. This morning I woke up and I thought what I usually do in the morning. I woke up at six. I thought, oh good, this gives me a good two hours to meditate. And then I can order the realm, as you know, that's what we call cleaning the house here. I can order the realm and still make it to morning communion. Morning communion being the tradition that we've had forever, but especially during COVID times where the whole family just sort of sits around eating breakfast and communing, communing. And uh, I, so I thought, I, I gotta get up, I gotta go. It's like feet, floor, coffee, door used to be my like anthem when I'd wake up in the morning. I could get a cup of coffee, keep me awake so I don't nod off in meditation and, and I'm going to do this thing. And then I thought, or I could just lie here. And I did. I just lay there until 9.30. I was late to morning communion. Now, I mention this not because it's an unusual thing. It's actually not unusual at all. But I mention it because I've been talking to a few people lately who I see as being extremely active and successful. And they're talking about how much more they're resting, maybe as a result of the COVID restrictions, but maybe just because that's the vibe that's happening in the world these days. Um, My friend, Stephen, who's a former Zen monk, he used to do meditations where he would um, go a hundred days meditating 20 hours a day um, and he would have like, he'd meditate for an hour and then he'd do a walking meditation, sitting meditation for an hour, he'd do a walking meditation for an hour, he'd do that for 20 hours. Then he would sleep for four hours and then he would get up the next day and do it all again. And he did that for a hundred days. He did it twice alone. So this is not, a, uh, this is a person I think of as somebody who gets things done. He's a successful man. And I was talking to him, I said, so do you, do you just, get up and think deep thoughts in the middle of the night. He's like, I sleep 10 hours a night these days. I need a lot of sleep. And then I was talking to Liz, Liz Gilbert, who's been on here with me a few times. And she is, she's the kind of person who will come to visit, walk your dog 20 miles, make you a lasagna, um, 
like entertain everyone in the house for two hours, uh, then say, I'm really tired, I've got to sleep. Fall asleep on the stairs for five minutes and wake up ready to do it again. This is a frisky lady, you guys. This is how she gets so much done. But she was telling me yesterday that she is doing less and less and resting more and more. And she's the one who suggested to me, and maybe she wrote this somewhere and you've read it, that the most seditious act we could, the most seditious thing we could do to bring down the patriarchal oppressive power structure is to relax. She says a relaxed person, especially a relaxed woman, is such a threat to the system because it's based on doing, 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 doing. So the whole succeed, 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 go, 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 it's all equated with high levels of activity and low levels of rest. And you know, you guys know I'm always blaming Western culture for this, but it's not. It's pretty much all over the world where you get cultures that are very high in material wealth, you also get sort of the cult of not resting. So there was my Stephen doing a Zen meditation for a hundred days. There is, a, there's kind of a, uh, almost like a military vibe to some of the Buddhist stories of people who trained really hard. For example, the, the Marathon monks of Mount Hiei in Japan. These guys, if you're going to become a marathon monk, you get up every day, run a marathon, then spend all your time cleaning the, the abbey or whatever it is, and then uh, sleeping until 1 a.m. and then getting up and doing it again for 100 days. So you do basically what Stephen did, but you throw in a marathon every day. So there's that. And then they do these. And then after you do that, you have this 10-day session where you meditate continuously for nine days, sorry, not 10, nine, nine days without food, water, or sleep. And you have to take this little pilgrimage to a well every day and come back. And at first it takes them 10 minutes. And by the end, it takes them like an hour and a half to get like across this lawn because they haven't, they haven't slept or eaten or drunk for nine solid days. It used to be that people would go 10 days, but there was a problem with that, which was that everyone died on the 10th day. <laughs> so they decided to shorten it to nine days. And then there was another thing they did in that same monastery where you would get up and you do a walking meditation um, for an hour every, and you do it every hour for like 87 days or something. Something ridiculous. And um, sorry, I'm not ridiculing somebody's religious belief, but it was a lot. And the last guy who tried it, died after saying, these were his last words, please, please don't let anyone do that again. <laughs> Bonk. So there are people even in Buddhist culture, which is all about stillness and, and like the, the dropping of ambition and everything, they still do this. There's a story about a Buddhist monk who decided he wanted to be truly awake. So he cut off his own eyelids so he would never fall asleep again because he thought that's what awakening meant. Well, according to my friend Stephen, who has gone around the block with it, that's not actually awakening. Awakening is about dropping everything but compassion, dropping everything but um, your deepest sense of what is true and good. And if you are treating yourself the way the marathon monks of Mount Hiei treated themselves and you're not liking it, what you're basically doing 
is torturing an animal, the animal being your body. So over here in the West, it's not linked to a holiness and awakening. It's linked to wealth and power and status. The more you go, 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 the more you're achieving. And that's this is where I was with my gray suit in high school. And then I got to college and I like tried to succeed and tried to succeed. And then I had, I was in graduate school and I had kids, but I was still trying to succeed, trying to succeed. And I was, I would, I was completely exhausted. And I said something to a professor about it once. And he said, yeah, sleep faster. And that way we were like, yeah, her. I was always sick. I was always miserable. And after about, who, after about five years of that, um, trying to combine, I take care of my kids during the day, put them to bed at eight. Well, my oldest, I put her to bed at eight, start studying, study till one in the morning. She would wake me up at five in the morning. So I'd get six hours of sleep. No, four hours of sleep, which just isn't enough for me. All right. All of this got me to chronic illness and um, complete inability to do anything. I've told you about this too. I was an invalid basically for 12 years after pushing that hard my whole life. But even during my invalid years, I was always trying to get things accomplished, keep pushing, keep doing. More recently, it began to occur to me that this torture of an animal was actually wrong and that I should start paying some attention to my body the way I would if I were given the stewardship over uh, a wild animal. Like it's my job to keep it healthy and happy. So how am I treating it? And I wasn't treating it well. So I started being better, resting more, but still you guys, still, even with COVID restrictions and everything, there's this feeling that we should be up and doing. We should be getting up in the morning and we should be doing things. We should be accomplishing things by George. We should be working out, you know, we should be taking long walks. We should be keeping ourselves active. And this morning as I lay, completely limp for about three and a half hours, I realized that I was actually slipping into a state of more harmony inside my body and in my soul than I do usually when I get up and meditate for hours or when I get up and read spiritual literature or whatever it is. And that's what I usually do. But this was actually a deeper connection with the divine for me than anything. And I, I realized that maybe a huge part of the divine, as Jesus said in the New Testament, uh, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I've written a little bit about sacred rest in some of my books and how you rest the way a, a shaman goes through life is to rest until you feel like playing and then play until you feel like resting and then repeat. Um, but I've been, I think the COVID has gave, has given me more and more emphasis on resting as an activity to be learned and um, honored and respected and practiced and perfected. Like we need to start resting more and resting better. If you follow the nap ministry on Instagram, um, it's an awesome, I think it's a, a woman, she just goes by the nap ministry, but it's about how the, the, again, to bring down the patriarchy and to stop systemic oppression, people have to be rested. We have to rest and we have to let people rest who have never rested before. And to that end, I want to do two things. The first is I want to challenge you guys and challenge myself to have a week where rest 
is seen as more important, more praiseworthy, uh, higher priority than anything else. Like instead of, sorry, I need to go rest, you say, I'm resting. So everything else has to stop, right? And you, you apologize when you stop resting. I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to get out of bed and do something now, but I'll be back really soon because this is my week of rest. Now, I'm going to teach you something that I learned early in the pandemic when I got a really bad spate of insomnia. And I came across it in the work of Shinzen Young, who is a meditation teacher, and he's a fascinating guy. He's also a professor of mathematics and physics and um, religious history. So, you know, he's just right up my street. And he teaches this meditation and it's called global relaxation. I think I've talked to you about it before, but I want to go into it more deeply because I was talking to someone the other day about um, when people need to recover medically, when they've been through a trauma or um, childbirth or an illness or whatever, this methodology is now being taught by some people to keep, to allow folks to rest who don't know how to rest, don't know how to let the body rest. And I thought, that's interesting. That's the same as the global relaxation technique. And it all has to do, it's very pragmatic. This is what I love about it. It has to do with your jaw muscle. This muscle here, the mandible, the one that runs your mandible is the, the strongest muscle in your body. And those of us who grind our teeth never stop clenching it like night and day. The first thing you do, so this is what I want to do. I want to walk you through like a three minute version of this meditation and I'd love you to do it. I did it all morning this morning and I swear it took me into a place where I felt like I was dancing with God. It was, it is really, really a good spiritual practice. So the first thing you do is you get, get settled wherever you are, take a few deep breaths through your nose, by the way, it changes the entire chemistry of your body when you breathe through your mouth. So breathe through your nose if you're not stuffed up. Uh, take a few deep breaths in through the nose, out through the nose. And then once you're re reasonably relaxed, drop your jaw just a little bit. So if your teeth are closed, you want to just let them hang. Like let the lower jaw just hang without any muscle tension here at all. You may want to wiggle your jaw a little. And I actually have to like pop it loose because it's so tense. And as soon as I do, it's like that muscle, because it's so strong and it's so usually clenched, it sends a signal that the rest of the face can relax. So you know how when you see a baby fall asleep, they're like, and they look sort of slack and drunken and their mouths are open. And we don't even like to think about people seeing us that way. We try to sleep like this. But like really let your jaw hang and let your face just droop. Like let, let go of all control of the muscles of your face. So you look terrible. And then allow the feeling of relaxation to affect the muscles of your eyes. And then if you can go up over your forehead. Now here is a key. The, the space inside every atom of your body is so much greater than the physical matter. It's like if you the atom were a sports stadium, the actual matter in it would be the size of a golf ball. So you are made of mostly empty space. And one thing that you can do to trigger deep relaxation is you ask this question, can I imagine the space that exists, for example, between the crown of my head and the bottom of my jaw? And you ask it as a question, can I imagine that phrase 
actually makes the brain go into something called soft focus. So let your face droop, let your jaw be loose, go back and make sure. Every time you start losing the ability to feel relaxed, this muscle is your key. It's like a it's like an on button for rest. <laughs> if you can drop it and relax it, and then you start relaxing these muscles and imagine this space inside the volume of your head, and then let it start to like trickle down, let your attention trickle down through the tissues of your neck and the back of the neck and the shoulders. That's where a lot of people hold a lot of tension and allow those to go slack as well. And all the time you're imagining the space inside this volume of your body and you just ugh, pretend you're a corpse in a TV show. You get to be the corpse on law and order and you just everything goes limp, goes limp, goes limp. And sometimes a muscle that's been tense will go and just let go. And you keep doing that through your whole body. And if you lose it, you come back to the jaw, drop your jaw again, start over. And you start to get, it, it, it triggers this cascade of relaxation and it flips your nervous system from um, fight or flight into rest and relax, where it very rarely goes for most of us. And then you start to, it's called the alkaline cascade. The whole body chemistry changes from an acidic pH balance to an alkaline pH balance in which, for example, I've been told that cancer cannot grow. If you keep yourself in that alkaline region all the time, you're going to be health, healthier in many, many ways than if you don't. So this is a way to trigger the alkaline shift. It's a way to trigger your um, nervous system. And what that does is open your energy to the frequency of rest. And I really believe when Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest, that that was an expression of an enlightened person saying, reach the band of enlightenment and you will be in this bliss. When you start, I can feel it actually coming from you guys now because my whole body feels this blissed out sensation. So I know several people out there are doing it. Don't even question that we can feel each other, we can. Um, and that's where you find, last week I talked about miracles. That's where you find miracles. That's where you can work miracles. That's where you find love. That's where you generate and manifest success. It's how you generate and manifest well-being. And it was when I got sick and learned to rest that after all those years of trying to succeed, I finally started manifesting what I really wanted in my life. So that's my, that's the the trick you use, you go all the way up and down your body and you just do it until, and you go into a deeper and deeper state of bliss. And then everything um, starts to go better for you. And life is amazing. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. So now I'm going to ask if I'm going to answer some questions. Sorry, I'm trying to run that keyboard here. I'm going to answer some questions. One is from Jessica. She says, I've been through an incredibly hard few years. 
and and see my busyness as a trauma response. Yes. Um, tips for for sorry, I didn't bring my glasses. I have to make everything very big. Um, tips on remapping that. I'm working on it, especially this weekend, specifically when I start thinking of things to do when I sit still. Puzzles help. Yeah, puzzles really do help. They tie up the problem-solving left hemisphere of the brain and perhaps also the right hemisphere if you're doing things visually. So you can go into a really nice space with that, and I highly recommend puzzling. They ran out of puzzles a few weeks after the COVID started, but now there are thousands they've, they've, there's been a run on the puzzle market it's where all the money is now so yeah coloring um puzzling those are good things if your busyness is a response to trauma it's because you're masking a fear or a grieving response that you that needs to be felt to be released so a lot of times we stay busy so that we won't feel grief so that we won't feel fear so that we won't feel anger um, or so that we won't feel mad, sad, scared, covered that, angered, afraid, and sad. Any version of that we can press down by staying busy. And we have a real addiction to that in our culture. So as you do this, Jessica, what you'll find is that if you lie there and you let your jaw go and you start to imagine the volume inside your head and you start your attention starts to trickle down into your body emotions will start to, to arise. The, the typical response to that is <gasps> go right back into fight or flight, tense up again, keep it at bay. Problem with that is you get completely exhausted. You run yourself ragged and then you'll end up like I did, incapacitated by illness because you just can't keep that up day after day, year after year. So when that happens, <gasps> what you wanna do, lower your breathing, <sighs> relax your jaw again, melt into the sensation. Oh, and here's a really key point. As sensations come up, whether physical or emotional, like I had a really sore shoulder, I slept on my shoulder funny. And so I could feel pain and I would put my attention into it and it didn't go away. But then I could also go and say, but where am I feeling pleasure? Where am I feeling the pleasure of relaxation? Ah, just that lying back and letting everything go. And though the pain is still there, the pleasure balances it, overbalances it. And the same thing can be true of grief or anger or fear even. If you, if you can hold the emotion and think, okay, there it is, there's fear, there's anger, there's sorrow. And where am I feeling relaxed? Where am I feeling secure? The feeling of going limp in a bed is very secure. You can trust that feeling of the bed. When animals heal, sometimes you'll shake a little bit and that then you'll drop. And that's also trauma working its way out of the body. So don't stop yourself from shaking. It's really important. But when animals need to recover from something, they do not get busy. You see them, they go like, they lie flat down, they zone out and they let their bodies heal. And if you're a good pet owner or a good horse owner or whatever it is, you don't force them to get up and do something at that point. They know how to take care of themselves. So they're not avoiding their pain. They're not avoiding whatever emotional response they have. They're allowing it. They're surrendering to what it is and finding the pleasure to, to put in the same perceptual space as the pain. And that is, it's incredibly um, healing to do that. So Rose says, how do you truly relax when you're waiting for something? 
I'm early in pregnancy and I find that even when I'm relaxing, there's an anticipation below the surface. Yes, I was talking to Liz about this yesterday and she was saying she used to have these longings or fears and now she has slight anticipation or maybe a touch of like hmm, anxiety-ish. And she said, even those are like micro tremors of getting out of the present moment. So she's, she's disciplining herself to just be present, present, present. And as she does that, she's getting more and more relaxed. So what I would do is the same thing I just said with the fear, the sadness, um, or the anger, hold the anticipation and say, oh, that's me projecting into the future. It's not allowing me to relax in the present moment. The only place the body truly relaxes is when we're totally honest. And being totally honest means being totally where you are. To have your mind off somewhere else feels to the body like, well, that's not here, that's a lie. So it tenses. So you come back to where you are and you just hold the anticipation and say, yes, there's a part of me that is not is gonna be very restless until the baby comes. But I am going to rest while my restless self does little circles in my mind. And I'm going to bring my focus to my jaw and dropping it. And uh, Shinzen Yang calls it the relaxation pleasure. Even like if you raise your shoulders just a little bit and then drop them, like lift them just a tiny bit and then drop them. And you can feel if you're attentive enough, you can feel a shiver of pleasure going down your arms and your back from tension to release. And it's just do that a few times and you'll notice it actually really feels good. It's like getting a massage almost. And if you can say, oh, I really want that baby to come. I'm going to be so happy when that baby comes. But let me see. Oh, anticipation, but also oh, that feels good. I think if you were getting the best massage of your life, you could probably put the anticipation down. Well, if you pay enough attention to the relaxation pleasure, any rest becomes that delicious. So Emily, and by the way, congratulations. Hope you have a wonderful baby. I know you will. Emily, say more about dancing with God. Oh yeah, that's just something that happens, you know? That's something, there's a rhythm that is sort of pulsing through life in this dual existence, the system of duality that creates material existence apparently. And to me, it's all held within a space that never moves, that is the absolute, that is the divine that is creating all of this, is consciousness playing with matter by creating through imagination, essentially. So when you get out of the busyness of the material world and you really let the body tune itself like a receiving device to the stillness of the, of the God force inside that duality, and then you can feel things like your pulse and, and other wave forms in your body, and it starts to feel rhythmic and sweet and joyful. And it's almost like music playing and you find yourself in bliss. You find yourself in complete bliss and it's a delicious physical sensation. And I think it's how we're supposed to feel much more of the time than we actually do. Okay. Kira says, haha. So many parents now are trying to keep their kids busy. I can't help but feel that kids kept busy during the pandemic. We'll be missing out on an essential experience we are meant to have at this time. What do you think? Here's what I think. I'm going to tell you something weird. So stay tuned, even though we're late in the day. I had this dream recently that everything was um, going to rack and ruin. <gasps> Oops. 
Whoops, it wasn't a dream. But in my dream, we were like on a battle battlefield and it was Mordor and everything was being destroyed. And then it was like, hush, there are reinforcements coming. And through like there were all these people on this gray battlefield and this whisper ran through the through the whole group. Reinforcements, we're gonna be okay. The reinforcements are coming. And then part of the desolation lifted up like a movie screen and I could see it wasn't real. And it only lifted up like three feet. And from underneath this screen came all these little toddlers, all these little babies in onesies. And everybody was like, the reinforcements are here. The reinforcements are here. And I woke up from that dream with two profound feelings. This is uh, reading about Rose's baby made me think of this about that dream as well. That if we are to be saved from our own busyness as a planetary entity, we have got to let the earth rest and we can only let the earth do what we've learned to do and that we've got to quiet down and that when we quiet down, whether it's real or whether it's figurative, in this, the innocence of humanity comes forward and begins to teach us how to rest the way nature rests. That's how it heals things. And we have wounded and wounded and wounded ourselves and each other and the planet. And the only way back through nature is rest. That's what she does with things. And I feel as if a hush has been decreed over all of humanity by the pandemic. And into that, the innocence of humanity is starting to arise. And sometimes it comes in the form of Rose's baby. And sometimes it comes in the form of all my friends who've been so busy and successful saying, really just want to rest more like it's it's really a positive step I want to do this this is now the top thing on my to-do list so that's why I wanted to challenge us all to a week of very highly prioritized rest and then use that methodology to really put the body in bliss and put it in touch with the aspect of the divine that wants us to heal that wants us to be strong and that wants us to go on living on this beautiful planet together in joy and happiness. So I hope that you have the most restful week for a long time. And even if you don't have a lot of time to rest, the quality of that rest, if you really let yourself go, can actually bring more and more peace and healing to you, even if you do it in brief spurts. I will be doing it in long hours because I freaking earned it. <laughs> We've all earned it. We've all been too busy too long. I love you guys. I see you next week on The Gathering Room. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And um, the reinforcements will be here any minute. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But 
I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 